Welcome to This Week in Sparkling Water. My name is Joachim Eriksson, and I'm the host of This Week in Sparkling Water, and I'm not doing very good. I'm just not doing good. It's, um... This is episode 148. This is take 12. Um, I'm... Yeah, I've started over 12 times, but and in that moment I decided to start over again, but then I just, you know, like why? I I can't, like I'm really just, I'm really just not doing so good. I woke up from a nightmare this morning and I don't remember the actual nightmare, but what I do remember is like my first thought when I'm in when I'm in a half awake state thinking back on the nightmare. And I remember my first thought being just like almost being astonished or like incredulous. Like being really disappointed in my own brain because I'm just looking back on this nightmare that I'm having and the preposterous premise of the nightmare and just being like, how this is what you're going to give me? Like, the nightmare had so many fears and weird anxieties rolled into one preposterous, unrealistic scenario that triggering, like, all my different fears in one, you know? There's, like, all these people over here and these people over here and this and this and this and everything is going wrong in one, like, open, vast, like, incredibly complicated scenario of different fears that interlock and interlink perfectly, creating like the most sophisticated nightmare ever. And I just remember waking up from it and being like, really? You're going to spend that much cognitive effort building out this entire universe? All You're going to put this amount of detail into a nightmare? So I woke up with this feeling of incredible fear and anxiety and loneliness and and self-loathing and I just sort of like rolled my eyes at myself and was like, okay, I guess this is the feeling we got today. And then I I sit down on my couch and it's, um, yeah, really I'm just, I am disappointed in myself that I am not better at feeling bad. And I recognize that that's an oxymoron, but that's how I feel. I am, I've always been feeling bad. I've been feeling bad forever. I have a lot of experience feeling bad and I'm still very bad at it. So what I would like for myself to do if I'm feeling bad is that at least if you know that you're just gonna be on the couch and you can't do anything and you just feel bad about yourself, at least just put on a movie and put the devices away, like a good movie that I haven't, like some new thing. Cause like I have a, a long list of cool things I would like to see, but I never watch movies because I never like make time for it really. But like, if I know that I'm just going to be on the couch in a, in like a looping state of self-loathing, then at least I wish I was just spending those two hours watching a movie and it might even snap me out of it, but at least whatever, you know, or a good TV show. And like, for example, I'm watching a good TV show right now that Julie recommended to me. It's called I'm a Virgo. It's like this, it's exactly the kind of thing I like. There are many things that I like, but one thing that I like is when you go really, really freeform and surreal and modern. So it's like this, 
show made by Boots Riley. And it's like about this black guy who's a giant and he's growing up in Oakland and it's all about race and poverty and like weird stuff about hypermodernity. But but it's got all these like weird, almost folklore, surreal, like Kafka surreal, very like old school surreal, very literary surreal elements. And it's just so freeform in like how the script is written. Like everything they say mixes like just weird, stupid things that it would be something you would think of when you're stoned mixed with like weird literary stuff. And it just comes together very nice. And I just wish I would have put that on. But instead, when I wake up this morning and I feel bad, I get on the couch and I just, I don't have any social media on my phone. I don't have Facebook on my phone. I don't have the Instagram app. But when I just sit there and I just have this really, really, like a color I didn't know the color black could go so black in my heart, you know? When I just have to run away from that emotion, I take my phone out and I open the browser and I go to Instagram.com and I just sit on Instagram for an hour on my phone. Who knows if I, it was an hour? It was a long time. And I scroll and it's like, it's such a disrespect. Like it's an experience that lacks all form of self-respect. It's so disrespectful to yourself to go on Instagram in the browser because it's such a shitty experience. Like I'm all about how if I'm going to enjoy something, I want to enjoy it in the best form. You know, if I'm going to have mashed potatoes, I would like them to be the best mashed potatoes. And if, if I'm going to hear a song, I would really, it's very important to me that like the speaker is a very like good speaker. And, and whatever it is, I really, I really think the form, like, you know, you know, we have access to the good form. We have access to good mashed potatoes and good speakers. Like, we can afford these things. So if we're going to do stuff, do them in the good form. And I really failed myself there because I gave myself the worst form of Instagram. Where, like, you scroll a little bit and then the video starts, but in the browser version, you have to individually unmute every single video. So you scroll and a video shows up and the beginning of it is silent, so you unmute it and then it's boring. So you scroll to the next one and it's already playing and the it's the sound is off, so you have to unmute that one. And then you scroll to the next one and it's already playing and the sound is off. So you miss the beginning of the sound again and you unmute it and it's boring and you scroll to the next one. And it's like, that's the experience for like 40 minutes. It's like so deeply disrespectful of an experience to myself. It lacks all forms of, you know, yeah, you know, that Joan Didion uh, piece about self-respect. Anyway, so then the one thing I lift myself up off of the lowest rung, and I don't lift myself all the way up to like, let's put on a good movie or let's put on a good TV show, but I lift myself up to at least let's go on YouTube and just watch something that's longer than three seconds, because I really think it's really dangerous and just harmful really is the word. I think it's very harmful to watch two second videos over and over and over for 30 minutes. I think that's like really, really harmful to the consciousness, to the spirit. So I'm like, at least let's go on YouTube and just watch slightly longer videos. And then they try to show me fucking video game videos because that's some sort of like, I don't even play video games that much, but there's something about it where they show me video game videos. But somewhere along the lines or somewhere in on this journey with the algorithm that YouTube figured out that I was sad. And you know what YouTube showed me that I then stopped 
stuck with. And I, and it was a big rabbit hole where I, after I finished a long compilation video, I found more and I just spent like an hour and a half watching videos of this. There is this thing where a new video game was just released. It's called Diablo 4. It's been out for like maybe a month or two. I, I don't know. Concept of time is very warped, but it's like, it's recent past. So people play this video game. I actually played Diablo 2 and 3 a lot as a teenager. And then the Diablo 4 was this incredibly anticipated game because we all loved the previous one 20 years ago, you know? So it's this video game that has a, all these difficulties, and then it has a highest difficulty called called hardcore, where the mode is different, and the difference is that you play it, and you're like this uh, fighter type character in this sort of like hellscape, fighting these demons or whatever. And the thing about hardcore is that you once you die, your character is gone, and you have to start over from the beginning. So you like level up this character. And in the beginning, it's like a level is like, the first level is probably like 20 minutes and then you level up. And then the next one is like 25 minutes. And then once you get to like level 30 or 40, leveling up takes like hours. And then when you get to level 60, it's like leveling up takes many, many, many hours. And you're like gathering equipment and leveling up. So you spend all this time on it, hundreds of hours, clearly like, probably a thousand hours to get to like level 100 or whatever. And then hardcore mode is that you play for a thousand hours, you get to level 100. And then if you're playing on hardcore mode and you die when you're level 100, your character is just gone. And there's something about that that's like, I would never, it takes a very specific person actually to even play it like that because you can just not play it like that. You can play the same game not on hardcore mode, and if you die, there's like some penalty, but you can, but you don't lose everything. You don't start over from the actual beginning. But there's just like some pride or something, or like some probably, it's probably something about how you feel more, it just feels imbued with like a certain importance or drama or like weight. There's like probably a more weight to it if you know that you're going to die, like that dying means that it's over. But so then what I'm watching on YouTube is a compilation of videos of Twitch streamers, people that play video games and then film themselves playing video games and show it on the internet and they have a bunch of viewers. Compilation of Twitch streamers with characters that they've spent hundreds of hours on and the moment that they die. And so... On the screen, there's like some fucking guy running around in a video game I've never played. And then in the corner, there's an actual human being playing the video game with a controller in his hand. And then with a keyboard and mouse, I mean, not a controller, but, um, and then he dies. And then ju you just watch the human's face. And there's something about it that I just really connected with because it's different than like watching gore videos or like videos of someone dying or videos of someone finding out that a loved one died or anything like that has like an, an actual real life quality to it that's, that I don't connect with. Because in my real life, nothing is wrong. You know what I'm saying? Like in my real life, everything is perfectly fine. It's like, I have a nice little house, um, you know, I get eight and a half hours of sleep. I eat a lot of carrots. I eat a lot of healthy food. I get a lot of protein. I get a lot of exercise. 
Um, I take some vitamins. Um, you know, I have a, a job where I get to be like physically active. So I do like 9,000 steps every single day. Uh, my job is going well. I'm in this workplace where all of my, all of the other men, like I'm, I, all the other managers together with me, we, we do this thing and we're really on the same page and we really like enjoy each other's company and we have extremely similar values and we really just sort of like make it really clear to each other what the challenges are and then we talk it through and it's like really interesting and fascinating and you deal with these like real problems of like, for example, like hiring is so interesting because it's like looking a person in the eye and trying to decide if they can do something is such a like infinitely complicated puzzle of like trying to understand a person and trying to get the best work out of a person and trying to understand who is the best person for something. It's such a like not small, not boring, pro it's like a very fun, it's fun how infinitely complicated it is. It's like this infinitely complicated Rubik's Cube game that's also kind of like not too high stakes. Like it's all the stakes are in a good spot. It's like everything, I mean, maybe the problem is I work too much. Maybe that's why I feel sad, like incredibly sad. But like everything in my life is fine. But I feel, I feel incredibly sad. And then watching these Twitch streamers where it's like you see them talk for 30 seconds and then their character dies. And like 900 hours of gameplay is just like erased. And you, you watch their face and they have all different kinds of reactions. Like there's a lot of first, they just bury their face in their hands and they just have to wait a few seconds for like the initial wave of like anger mixed with grief. And then they just like pop out at different stages of the like different stages of grief. Just all different emotions come out. People stand up and they just rage around the room and destroy everything. Or people like laugh. They're just laughing. And also the whole thing is like so frustrating or like it's all a bad experience because they all express the same sentiment, which is that the game sucks. Like this game that we waited 15, 20 years for because Diablo 3 came out like 15 years ago, the game fucking sucks. Like it does not live up to expectations. And almost all the videos are that the character dies because there's a bug. Because there was like a loading screen and behind the loading screen, the character was still in some sort of limbo. And in that limbo, there's snowflakes and snowflakes do damage. So while it's loading, it's doing damage to you and you die behind a loading screen. Or like there's lag and your character just jumps back and forth in a lag fucking glitch and then you're dead. And like 900 hours of gameplay is erased. Like it's all stuff, like pretty much all the videos are not because the person did anything wrong, because that's a little bit of a different emotion of like trying your best and throwing yourself against something and failing versus just like you play something for 850 hours and it's kind of glitchy and buggy and disappointing for 850 hours, but you play it and then you like get really far into it and then you're deleted. <laughs> and then the people are just like, what just happened? <laughs> and then I watched this whole 30 minute compilation and then I'm like, God, is there more of this? So I just search Diablo 4 hardcore death. And then you just get all these compli <laughs> compilation videos of people dying while playing Diablo 4 on hardcore mode when they're really deep into it, when they're like level 80 and 90 and 100 and stuff.
And there was just something about it where I just, it's not that it made me feel better, but it just felt like there's a meaninglessness to their choices that on a, on a surface level, it probably has many levels, but like the first level is something like, well, at least I'm not that fucking, <laughs> at least I'm not wasting time like that. Like I waste a lot of time. I waste a lot of time just being sad and running away from my emotions and being anxious and just like coping. I waste a lot of time just coping. And it's even like very loaded, unfortunate language to call it wasting time, but it is like an inefficiency that like the late stage capitalism programming of my brain, like it's very hard for me to not view that as an inefficiency. And I, I don't know, it's like my whole day is so inefficient. And then, you know, I like watched this, I saw this Instagram video at, at one point in all of this coping where it's like, this guy is like, <laughs> this guy is like, okay, tech overlords, just replace me with the AI already. I'm, I'm done. Like I, I have so many, there's so many problems with me. Like I need to poison myself for hours after working just a mere, I work like a mere 40 hours a week and then I have to go home and drink to like poison my brain from the stress of just sitting in front of a computer for 40 hours. And I can like barely do long division with a piece of paper. And I eat like fast food that makes my brain less efficient. And I need all this sleep and I like don't get enough sleep and getting not enough sleep makes me uh, get less sleep. And it's just this long video saying all these really, really funny I'm not saying them funny, but they, they were really, really um, funny observations about how inefficient people are. And it was really resonating with me. And then I hit um, save in the corner on Instagram where it like bookmarks it for you. Cause I'm like, wow, this one is so fucking well-written that I want to go back to this one later and just pretty much just read it on the podcast. Because it's like every line on this thing is like really speaks to me. And then when I was going to record the podcast now, I go on my Instagram and I go to my saved ones and that one had been deleted. But I didn't realize that immediately because first I spent like 30 minutes looking for it. And like that in itself is like another line in it. It's very meta. Cause like I just spent another 30 minutes like looking for not finding something. Like it's just all examples of stuff that, you know, just replace me with an AI and it'll do a better job. Like an AI would not, will not waste 30 minutes not finding something. I mean, that's not even really true. That's not really the point at all. But um, yeah, anyway, I spent two hours watching these Diablo players lose their character and it's like that first of all it's it, the first layer is something like i'm i'm happy i'm not wasting time like that but the second layer is just something of like you can tell in the moment that they lose the character that there's like a you it's it's all made up so it's like you have this made up thing that you're doing for entertainment purposes you're doing it to entertain yourself and you grow it and you spend 900 hours on it. And the whole reason that it has value is because you can lose it. So it's like this, you have this tenuous connection, like there's this weakness of connection to it because it's not like losing a dog or losing something real. It's this thing where it's like, maybe it was all about the journey. So like they have these incredibly deep, sad, emotional outbursts, but at the whole, the same time, the whole time you can see how they're about to just drop the whole thing and move on. 
And it's almost like you want to see all of them just stand up, turn around, walk out of the room, and do something better. Like you can see how they, they're, they're, because it wasn't even that good of an experience, it's like part of it, it's a big, a big part of it is like, we're, we feel bad and it's very paradoxical because we feel bad that we're, that we lose being trapped inside of something we didn't like. And it's like really just skipping from bad thing to bad thing here. Like we're really just not figuring things out very well. And it's really like a sort of weird philosophical exercise to to look someone in the eye as they lose something that they didn't even enjoy that much, but spent so much time on and had like this really deep connection to. And the deepness of, like the, the deep connection is like transparent and meaningless. It's like so important and unimportant at the same time. And the, you can see their brain just flickering between the two, between like, I am so heartbroken right now, and do I even give a shit? Like, I really think that, you know, I don't know. There's a great variety of, of uh, and, and, and some of them are even like, you watch a Korean guy, and he's talking, and he's talking, and he's telling a story, and he gets too wrapped up in his story, and he doesn't focus on his character, and then his character dies, and then you just see the, like, frozen disbelief in his eyes as his character is dead, and the thing comes up on the screen in Korean and then he just keeps talking in Korean and the whole time it's like I don't speak Korean I don't know what he's saying but it doesn't matter I watched the whole four minutes of him talking through it with himself because it's not about the words you know it's not about the language. It's universal. Like I can tell which stage of grief he's in without knowing <laughs> without knowing you know the you know you know, without knowing the made-up Korean, I know, like, I can tell what anger is and sadness and just, like, laughter and just, like, discarding it and, hit and hitting the buttons and being like, something must be wrong. Like, my game must have, what, what's good, like, just <laughs> not believing it. And then, you, you know, you get a Romanian guy, you get a Korean guy, you get a couple of Chinese guys, you know? And it's, like, all, just people just losing the thing. Four-minute and then you lose, and then next person, and then this girl just like shrill scream when she loses it all. And then she just sits there and it's just like a whiny noise just comes out of her, you know, just sad. And then they look up from that sadness and they're like, well, maybe the whole thing sucked anyway. You know, I spent 900 hours on it, but maybe I shouldn't spend the next 900 hours on it. And then like the last video I watched, the last one was like, <laughs> this is almost different, but it's like, it was like, she didn't die, but she just went into the main menu and just deleted a level 100. Is level 100 the cap? Let me just Google this real quick. Yeah, level 100 is the maximum level. And anyway, th this one video just ended with this girl just being like, this game fucking sucks. And and she's like, "I this is what I... Think about this stupid game, and then she deletes her level 100 character. And there was something, I don't know. It, may, it, it, was a, it was an act of commiseration, because there's something about it where all day, every day, I just feel like that. I just feel like my level 100 character that doesn't even matter just died. Like, the character I shouldn't even have spent all that time on, he just died, and now he's gone forever. Anyway, you know what? Let's just talk about something else. Let's just talk about something lighter. 
this is a thing that happened to me. So um, in winter, I think it was during um, Miracle Bar, the Christmas bar that we were doing in December. I'm, I'm running around downstairs and downstairs there are all these like um, metal hooks on the walls and stuff because there are these big metal doors that are like from 1852, literally. And I'm basically like running around in this weird half-renovated museum. And then at one point I'm wearing these denim, bl blue denim blue jean pants. And at one point I'm carrying a big box through like a narrow space and a metal hook on the wall catches onto my, the belt loop on my pants and just rips it open. And I'm like caught and then released and I'm like jarred by it. And I look down and that has never happened to me in my whole life. You know, I'm 36 years old and that's never happened to me. And I look down and I'm like, well, that's fucking confusing. And then like an hour later, I'm like hanging out with Doug and I'm like, Doug, look what happened to me. And I show him this like flimsy piece of fabric, the remainder of a belt loop. And he shows me his and he's like, same thing happened to me because we have that thing there. And then I wore those pants less, but I did not throw them away because I had this feeling, this very specific feeling that it's like, that's bad, but it's not bad enough that I want to throw them away. But I did cut off the loop. First, actually, I stapled it and repaired it, and then it broke again, so then I just cut it off. And then my belt would ride up on that side, so it would look like I was wearing a thong that was above my, my waistline, you know? That sort of uh, whale tail, what, what is that called? Like a whale, I don't know, it has some funny name or whatever. But so then I, um, I'm wearing these pants and I wear them for months. And, and then, you know, the timing of this was so weird because then there's this other thing where like I, this one time I, cr I, I smash into something with my truck. I smash into, I back into a metal pole and I destroy my taillight my right rear taillight. And it's just like, there's plastic everywhere. The light still comes on. It's still a little bit red, so I'm not getting pulled over, but it's fucking smashed and I'm pissed off. And so I buy a new taillight on the internet and I make this deal with Javi where it's like, Javi, if you can just change this taillight for me, I'll buy you dinner. And then I have the taillight in a cardboard box in the back seat and I don't ask him to change it out and I drive around with it like that for a while because I have that same feeling where I'm feeling like it's bad like a broken taillight like it's bad but it's like not bad enough and I just had this feeling like I didn't want to throw it away and then I had this weird week where in one week I in its last week um and I should have talked about it on the last episode of the podcast but I was too distraught not that I'm not distraught this time. I'm probably more distraught. But I just failed to talk about it, unless I fucking talked about it and forgot. But I was so sleep deprived and just so delirious and so like unhappy and unfocused and not centered, which isn't my normal state. Normally I'm really centered. Like I, you know, ever since... Something really radical changed in my brain, actually, like four or five years ago when I started meditating. And I really stopped losing stuff, stopped misplacing stuff. I was such a misplacer. I was the kind of like sad, depressed, anxious person that would fidget and like lose stuff all the time. And then I meditated a lot. And then I became like a sad, anxious, depressed person that never loses anything. 
you know, which is not what was advertised. Like, it, that's not why I meditated. That's not why I started meditating, but it's who I became. I became centered and I'm still like, you know, it's like that fucking meme about like, oh, you exercise to feel better, to not feel so fucking depressed. And so now you're this ripped guy who's really depressed, you know? That's me, you know, but with not losing my keys. So last week, I just wasn't centered and I wasn't myself and I just smashed really fucking hard. I, <laughs> it's in my own driveway too. It's so funny. I'm in my own driveway and... The other lady who lives on this property, she has some friend over. So they're, they, they're car parked, cars parked in new places on the property that I'm having to back around. So, but I don't give a shit. It's my driveway. I just do the same fucking three-way turn every day. Every morning, I just do the same three-way turn getting out of my house. And I don't realize that the fact that there are new cars here is, it makes me, I'm actually doing it different this time and I don't notice. So I don't even look. Like I have a backup camera and I don't even look. I just smash into a tree really fucking hard. Like I, I just scrape all the bark off of this tree and I smash the fucking shit out of this already destroyed taillight. Like it's so smashed now. It's still not broken though and I'm not getting pulled over. And the bumper falls off. So I go, I pull ahead forward a little bit just to be able to look at it. And I survey the damage and it's like, yes, my right rear taillight that was already destroyed is now double destroyed. And there's a good, it's a bittersweet thing, you know? It's a mixed feeling because what if I had had Javi change out my taillight and then I do this, you know? What if I had a freshie on there that I just pulverized? That would have been so bad. But so there's something very, very satisfying in having the smashed taillight and then double smashing it. But then my bumper falls off and I take the bumper and I put it in the back seat next to the new taillight. And it's kind of a mess and I haven't dealt with it. And I haven't actually talked to Javi for like a month and a half. So I'm not exactly sure how to proceed, but I think I need to fix this thing because my shit's looking um, asymmetrical on the back. Like the whole right half is like, shit's falling off now. Uh, so I need to worry about that, but but there's a there's a somewhat satisfying feeling about not changing out the taillight and then smashing it again, and then that same week somehow I'm carrying a big fucking heavy case of liquor or something, and my pants with one belt loop missing, I just bump into a wall, and previously it was my right belt loop that was um, destroyed, and now. I bump into a wall and there's a hook and it hooks onto my left belt loop and my left belt loop is destroyed, is ripped open. So now I have this pa these pants with a belt loop on each side that's, um, they, it, they're, they're ruined, you know? Like now they're ripped on both sides. And I wore them for a little bit and now when you have a belt, <laughs> when you have a belt looped into all the remaining loops, the pants are just attached at the center of the back and a little bit in the front, you know? And the sides are just, it's a, such a like incredible hobo look. But um, so that was the same thing. It was a little bit satisfying where it's like, I like that I kept wearing these pants and that I broke them a little bit more before pulling the trigger on this because now I'm looking at them and they're in the trash. Like I went home, I folded them up I looked at the two broken loops to make sure I'm dealing with the right pair of pants here, and I just stuffed them into a trash can. And I was like, that's a pretty good use. Like, that's a pretty, 
those are some pretty good decisions there to keep those pants and like that it wasn't a different pair of pants that was destroyed. Yeah. That's the kind of stuff, like these are the kind of really interesting stories, like really overanalyzed, like emotional arc micro stories that that's why you're here, you know? That's why we do about 80 minutes of podcasting every week so that we can really focus in on these stories. Like, because this stuff matters to not you or me, but it's what we, it's what we're doing, you know? Like, this is, this is where we are. I feel so bad about it. And this is where we are. And with that, we're going to drink a water. So last week, I took three pineapple flavored sparkling waters. I put them in a, in a bucket. I filled the bucket with ice. And the bucket sat next to me while I recorded a one-hour podcast. And I never remembered to drink the water. And there you go. So this time we're gonna remember to drink the water. It's it's uh, so this is Liuka. That's the brand, um, ananas passionsfrucht, which obviously means pineapple passion fruit. So um, pineapple. There's this thing about pineapple where it in every other language except English it's called a version of the word ananasi, but in English they go different. Anyway, so let's try it. First, I'm curious. Like I brought these on the plane and. The other rhubarb one that I uh, reviewed with Amanda was flat. And I just was curious, like, was that because I brought it on the plane? Okay, it smells, it has a strong pineapple smell. Let's let's taste it. You know, it isn't that fizzy. I really wonder if having a carbonated bottle on the plane, if the pressure, like, pulls or pushes so that some of the pressurization that is included when you're dealing with carbonation disappears. I think so. So let's not comment on the bubbles as much as the, it's still bubbly and nice though. Yeah. So that's like a five out of 10 because I don't like passion fruit. I'm just gonna say it. Passion fruit, it tastes like just bad. It just tastes like a bad haircut or something. It just tastes like something that's like permanently bad. Yeah. The pineapple is good. The passion fruit is bad. It's got more flavor than a LaCroix. These flavored sparkling waters from Sweden, they we do a little bit more flavor, I think. But mm, that's not very good. And then, you know, pineapple was something I learned about pineapple this week. I've been hanging out with And first of all, she's extremely coy and paranoid about sharing information about herself. And... That makes me feel, um, what does that make? That, that, that makes me feel bad. That makes me feel like I'm, I'm such an oversharer and it feels, it makes me feel like maybe I'm doing everything wrong and maybe she has something figured out that I don't. And so it makes me feel defensive and it makes me attack her for being such an undersharer. Like she's so private about information. Like I remember when I first met her, I was like, so what's up? Where are you from? And she was like, I'm from Central America. And I'm like, bro, what What kind of an inexact answer is that? And then it like, I had to re-ask multiple times before she's like, I'm from Honduras. And it's like, bro, why didn't you just tell me that like a long time ago? And then yesterday I accused her of being a narcissist. I was like, well, I think being super paranoid about information 
it's a form of narcissism. <laughs> I, I do sort of stand by that, but she got really mad and she was like, are you calling me a narcissist? And I was like, no, no, I just think that that's like a form of narcissism. It, because I do think that it's a, self, it's a form of self-importance to think that your imp information is so important that really what I'm saying, what, what this really is, is me reenacting stuff from my childhood where like I grew up and my best friend Sebastian had exactly her attitude where he was so guarded with information and didn't want anything anywhere. He wasn't on any social media. He didn't like want to talk. He had like no friends other than me. It's like it all was so like just hidden behind a VPN on the internet with like not even a well-established fucking pen name, just different usernames every week, just everything was just, and I'm like, bro, you're, you think you're so important that someone is chasing you, but really I was just acting out my own thing of like, I tell people way too much stuff. Um, and you know, we are who we are and, and we don't change very much. And now I'm 36 years old and I have a podcast where, you know, I talk about if I did or didn't have sex this week, like I'm, I'm, you know, it's, it's all bad, you know, like I'm not, I never grew up. I didn't get better at it. I used to be a 14 year old posting super cringy, depressed Facebook posts. And now I'm a 36 year old posting super cringy, depressed podcast episodes. Like it's all just one thing. Like it's a continuous, like it's a, it's one storyline, you know? And there's no story to it. There's no plot. There's no development. There's no character development on my storyline at all. It's just this one, you know, I'm, I'm not, I have background. I have, you know, I have non-playable character energy, really. I don't have main character energy. Um, but I used to think I did. I used to think I was special, but yeah, you know, catch me outside, you know. Took me a long time to realize I wasn't special. There you go. Catch me outside. So I told that I thought that it was a form of narcissism. And I kind of still think that a little bit, but I think I'm coming from a place of oversharing so much that I don't really, I'm not a good judge of what's a good level, but I do feel like maybe she undershares and could open herself up a little bit and not be so guarded. But also it was impossible in that moment to have a real conversation. Because I provoked her. She responded with anger. And once we're both in our feelings like that, once we're both in our stuff, it's not very meaningful to like, or it's not very possible to have a meaningful conversation where I'm like, is it possible that you should, that we should meet in the middle and that I should share a little bit less and you should share a little bit more? Is it possible? And, but then one, the, the other thing, you know, that I, the other thing it makes me feel and want, the other thing it's triggering me and pushing me towards is that I sort of like want to say all of her stuff on the podcast to like, I don't know. That's how I always did it with Sebastian. I would like, he would be so annoying and so impossible to get in. Like he would be so hidden away from the world and I would just try to do stuff and want to like go on adventures and he would want to hide so much that I would like try to expose him in every sense of that word. You know, I would try to expose him to the world and I would try to, I would like tell people his secrets just so that their gravity, just so that their weight would be 
would dissipate just so that every the magic would go away and so that it would he would realize how unimportant it is and how no one gives a shit about his secrets and so that also didn't change from me being 16 and me being 36 because like i feel that too like i want to tell a bunch of private things <laughs> from 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 this girl but i'm not gonna because maybe something changed maybe i grew up a little bit um, it's interesting though, because I feel like she's listening and I feel like she's like a little bit stressed out listening to this because she doesn't know exactly which things I'm going to reveal. Uh, anyway, um, totally going to beep out her name. We're good. Uh, one thing I did learn about pineapples though, that she told me is like upside down pineapple means swinger. That's what she told me. And I'm like, what, what does that mean? <laughs> Sometimes people tell you stuff like that and you're like, what? Like, what does that mean? Like, in what context? Like, what, people get tattoos? Like, upside-down pineapple tattoos? Are you talking about real pineapples? Like, do swingers buy real pineapples in the grocery store and turn them upside down and, like, carry them around or put them on their cars? Like, where is this a thing? And she's just like, upside-down pineapple means swinger. It means wife-swapping. And I'm like, 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 what? Like, where? Like in what country, in what context? And then I go home and I Google it and she's right. And the answer is on cruise ships. On cruise ships, if someone has a sticker or like a printed out picture of a pineapple and the pineapple is upside down and they stick that to their door, it means their motherfucking wife swapping. So, you know, I don't know, like, you know, I don't know what to do with that. But that's a pineapple thing. The pineapple is loaded with symbolism, isn't it? Because, you know, when we had Max Loring, RIP, um, on the podcast, he told us about how the pineapple is a symbol of hospitality. And that's why he had all these pineapple tattoos. And we did a pineapple episode with Max Loring. God, I got to reach out to him and apologize for it. Not apologize, but no, no, no. Much better than apologize. I am good at apologizing and people apologize to me. What I need to work on is I need to learn how to accept apologies. I don't accept apologies very well. I have to reach out to Max Loring and accept his apology because he wronged me and I have held that grudge for three years now and he has apologized deeply, honestly, and he was always kind of a shitty person. And Julie always told me not to be friends with him, but, but you know, anyway, I'm going to accept his apology. Okay, here's a completely different topic and a completely different thought um, that I thought about this week. So I was reading um, the book, um, it's called A Book of Common Prayer by Joan Didion. It's fiction. I have read all the Joan Didion nonfiction, and I love it. It's my favorite writing. It's why I moved to California. Huge Joan Didion fanboy. Uh, me and Greta Gerwig, we, we love Joan Didion. Um, I think Greta Gerwig is also from Sacramento. Is that real? Oh, my God, she was born in Sacramento, and also she's my age, which makes me... I mean, look, it's okay. It's okay. She's three years older than me. Maybe I'll catch up. Um... <laughs> What was I saying? Yes, I was reading a book of common prayer. And in the book, it's a book set in like the 50s in a made-up Central American country because Joan Didion spent a lot of time in like El Salvador during all these political uprisings. And then she just thought it had this certain feel. So she wrote a fiction book about it. Um, but 
it's describing all these things and celebrities and people with money in the 50s and 60s. And it's describing, there's this one paragraph, it's actually very short, but it's one paragraph about scammers and how this one rich lady is the target of a lot of scams. And the scams, it's a scam from the 50s. And it was like this. Whenever there was a news story about someone who died, scammers would write a letter and just send it to a relative of the person who died and say, hey, I'm a medium. I'd speak to uh, the spirits of dead people. I have a message from this dead person. And then they would sprinkle in some weird shit about like, oh, you know, it was like about his pants, his pants are like, oh, the color green. Or, you know, he has a message for you about asparagus, you know, whatever. Just sprinkle in a little bit of character and color. And then at the end, it'd be like, um, buy me a ticket. It, like the the one example in the story was like the person writing the letter is in France and someone dies in America and the person in France wants to go to America. So they send a letter to the relative of someone who just died and they're like, buy me a plane ticket to Houston and I will, you're in Houston, I'm in Paris, buy me a plane ticket to Houston and I will tell you what your dead relative has to say about fucking asparagus or whatever. And apparently that was sort of a normal scam back then because like superstition was maybe a little bit more just up in the air and spirits. There was a lot of occult shit and air travel was a little bit new and very expensive and rich people were very quirky back then. I can't remember what the connection was, but I recently went to the Winchester um, fucking haunted house or whatever, the Winchester mansion. And it's a very, like, it's a premise that everyone knows. It's very famous in America, but I had never heard of it. But it's it's this, basically, it's a house. Okay, this is where the story starts. Winchester is a gun company that's actually famous, that I had heard of, that we've all heard of. They made really long rifles or whatever. They made guns. And then the guy who fucking started that company, his last name was Winchester, he died and his wife got all the money and she lived longer than him and she had all the money and he was politically right wing and wanted everyone to have guns and she was politically left wing and was feeling guilty about the whole thing. And a medium told her that the ghosts of all the people that died from all the guns that her gun manufacturer husband sold because he invented guns and caused a lot of death. The ghosts of all the people that died because of her husband are haunting her and she has to move to this place in fucking south of Palo Alto or whatever. I can't even remember what that, San Jose? It's in San Jose. She has to buy a mansion in San Jose and she has to remodel it. And the remodeling, the renovation of the house must never stop because as soon as she stops working on the house, the ghosts will get her and she will die. And like, there's a lot of shit in there about the 50s and the 60s and how everyone was crazy. And and there was just like a lot of nouveau riche, like um, the, the, new, the new money in America in the 50s and 60s, I think they were kind of loopier. I think they were, now they're now money in America. People are a little bit more established and they're a little bit more boring. But they used to be really loopy and they used to be into some really weird shit. And maybe they still are, but I don't know. It, it just seems like it was loopier in the fifties and sixties. So I went and visited that Winchester house a few weeks ago with Maddie, and it's like, yeah, 
It's got all these doors that lead to nowhere. It's got all these roofs that aren't finished. But it's like not spooky at all. And it's like a Disneyland thing. It's like not at all what you would expect. But it's also like 100 years old at this time point. So, you know, anyway, whatever. I was I read the Joan Didion book and it's I don't even remember what the connection to the Winchester house is doesn't really matter. But I was reading about these scams in the 50s and it really made me think about how today everyone's talking about how AI is going to lead to a lot of disruption and weird scams and it's a very I'm I'm very interested in how we can't predict which emotion leads to what. Like we can define goals and then we can just give the goal to the computer and the computer will try to manipulate people using all different kinds of stuff. And then it will just land on stuff that's related to one emotion because the computer will try a trillion billion different things on all five billion, six billion people. And the computer will just land on a couple of answers and be like, I tried everything. These things that trigger this emotion are the most efficient. So like, it was very hard slash impossible slash no one did predict that if we give the goal engagement to the computer and the computer just gets to show us everything and we just measure how engaged are they, how long do they look at it, how much do they punch all the buttons on their screen when we show them stuff, the stuff that triggered, the stuff that had this sort of emotional valence and emotional color of outrage was the stuff that... Um, it cost the most engagement. And I find it so interesting how we couldn't predict that. Like how I think if you made everyone guess 40 years ago, which emotion, you explain the whole scenario and where we're going to go and the computer's going to do this and the computers, we're going to have social media, explain the whole thing to them. And then you make all the people 40 years ago guess, hey, out of all the different emotions, which emotion do you think is going to maximize engagement? I think people would guess all different kinds of crazy shit, but I think outrage would be like really far down on the list. I think it's very counterintuitive and surprising because we're not very good at understanding the actual mechanisms of, like we just sit here in our stuff and we have no idea why our stuff is like this. And we don't know. And we're so confused, like, who gave me this stuff? I'm so angry at you for giving me this stuff. And this stuff didn't come from you, you know? We just have this, like, we're so in our stuff that we don't understand the mechanics of our stuff. And so I find it very interesting that we're about to give the AI a bunch of goals and be like, okay, so maximize sales. Just try everything, maximize sales, figure out some complicated new thing. Or scammers are going to be like, okay, maximize like how many people buy me a plane ticket if we send videos to people. Just just produce content. Just make the whole thing. Impersonate that you are people's relatives and like do whatever. You know, the scammer's gonna tell the computer to do whatever. And then I, th I would find it to be such an interesting thing if we revert and become like more superstitious because I really think that we, we have a tenuous relationship with reality and we could quite easily be con con convinced into believing that there's a lot of spooky shit going on under the surface. And like, we're not very, I talked a couple of episodes about how, a couple of episodes ago, I talked for a long time about how my uncle really doesn't understand how like Google Maps is better than him at understanding how we should go somewhere. And he's like, I have, I lived here, I've lived in, you know, the greater Bay Area for 20 years, for 40 years, whatever the number is, 
Google Maps doesn't know. Do it the way I tell you. And it's like, we're so bad at conceptualizing certain things. Linear, parabolic, exponential growth. Like, it's so hard for us to understand what exponential, like, to visualize exponential growth, it doesn't fit very good in the brain. And so I think it's very possible that 10 years from now, we'll have all these weird things where like videos are being sent to us from like dead relatives. And we know that the AI deep faked them, but we have such a weak connection to reality that, and we're so bombarded with weird spooky shit because the first gen will just be like, obviously it's just a dead relative deep fake telling us to send them money. But like, then it'll get smarter and it'll get weirder and spookier and it'll get like grainier. Like the first one will be really crisp and super realistic and that won't be the best. The best will be where it's like found footage, sort of like hand cam looking shit. And then we'll start to be like, wait, I know everyone is saying that the AIs are just sending us these videos, but like, what if this one is real? And we have such a weak connection to reality that I think it's, very possible, and it would be very interesting if we all, myself included, become way more superstitious and just start believing in, like, weird ghost story, paranormal activity. And, like, if I just start giving away all my money because I start being, you know, exposed to a bunch of paranorm paranormal activity shit and I just, like, go looking for it and I just sort of travel the world giving money to experts that can maybe help me figure out like, because I'm, I, I, there is a hole in my heart. Like I am looking for something. I am looking for a puzzle piece and I haven't found it. And I'm quite old and I have looked everywhere twice and it was nowhere. So like I'm ready to look in other dimensions. And if the AI deep fakes a video where it's like my grandmother talking to me from a different dimension about like, where she's like, I listened to all the episodes of your podcast and I have figured out for you why you're so sad. And then it like has listened to all of my podcast and has like <laughs> like a deeply, you know, it has listened to your, imagine that it has, that the AI has looked at your entire digital footprint, everything you've ever put on the internet, every Facebook post, every Instagram thing, every blog post, it has consumed everything and like come up with a pretty freaking complicated psychological model of you. And it like actually sort of half knows what your problem is. And it sort of actually has some half good advice for you, which is like the thing I always talk about with cults. Like, Cults are cults and cults are bad and everything, but I think a lot of times cults have a pretty half good answer. And I think a lot of these weird exercises that they make you do sitting in a circle in a cult are like pretty therapeutic and actually make you feel better. Like it's not that cults sell you nothing, you know? That's the thing about alternative medicine. Like alternative medicine, marketable in a store, that actually sells you nothing. At least put me in a cult where we sit around in a circle and we like do weird sort of like people do sex crimes on me and like I am scarred for life, but at least I'm also, you know, there's some therapy and I get some answers for like why I feel like some half good answers. Like at least give me some half good answers along the way. Don't just like sell me nothing, you know? And I really think it'd be so interesting if the AI just like they, they're, it's just smarter than us. 
and then everyone has these their own metaphor of like, what does it mean to understand that something is smarter than you? As if that's like the hardest thing to understand in the whole universe. And maybe it is. And it's like Neil deGrasse Tyson is like, oh, well, can an ant look at a human walking past him and see that the human is much smarter than the ant? No, the ant can't conceptualize that. that. The ant is just living his little ant life, you know? And in the same way, if... A aliens fly past our planet every day like we maybe can't just we can't notice how they're much smarter than us because they're so much smarter than us and i really think that it's like would it's very possible for me to imagine that like i, I can really imagine a world where like the fact that we introduce something in this world that's much smarter than us that has like a way of communicating with us in video and sound and color and like numbers and it can send us mail to our mailbox and it can like, you know, decide what's on TV and it can kind of control the power grid. It like controls everything. What it might feel like to be to live in a new world where there is something smarter than us might be that we start believing in ghosts because the thing, we hit a ceiling of how we can no longer just ascribe it all to the AI and instead we just are like, yeah, I believe in ghosts now, you know? I believe, you know, those first 90 videos that were sent to me that were deep fakes of my mom saying that, you know, she's stuck and her bank account is frozen and I need to send her a check for 400 bucks right now in Bitcoin to this address. Like those first 90 videos, I didn't believe them, but the AI AB tested so much shit and, and learned so much about my psychology that it just figured out that it like spoke to me about something I thought that only I knew because I forgot that I mentioned it. You know, there are so many hours of the podcast that there is so much stuff. Like there are so many things you could come at me about and be like, a spirit spoke to me. I know about X and Y and Z. And I'd be like, I believe you because no one, I've never told anyone about X and Y and Z because I forgot because it's in episode 34 or something. You know what I'm saying? Like it's so many. I don't even remember two episodes ago. You understand that there's an episode 40 and an episode 70 and there's an episode 5? Like I couldn't even remember Cooper's name. Like he was my guest on episode 1 and 2. I couldn't even remember Cooper's name. You think I remember anything that we talked about? You think you remember anything you posted on Twitter in 2004? You don't remember any of that. And if the computer was like, that scar on the back of your, the scar on the back of your, you know, on the back of your ear that happened when, when you know, you were, you were grabbing that plate of pizza that was resting on the side of your dad's boat and you were like a little kid and you didn't know that the ladder wasn't attached and you were standing on the fucking ottoman and the ottoman keeled over and you got the ladder on you and it sliced your ear open. I was the, there. It was the last time I saw you and, and I'm your great aunt, and, and I buried this treasure for you, and you just have to send me $200. You just have to send me $200. But it's also going to be like not that, you know? It's going to not be send me $200. It's going to be like you have to fly to Belize and find my ghost. And then it's like the whole thing is fucking... <laughs> done by like delta airlines and they're trying to send tickets sell tickets to belize you know the whole thing will be so confusing where it's like they're the only airline that has flights to belize and 
you think you're just going on a spiritual journey to beliefs, but really Delta is like, and then there's some guy at a business school who's like, yeah, and we weren't selling enough tickets to Belize. So the AI had this idea that we were going to send everyone on a spiritual journey. And we even built like a little hut in Belize where people would go and look for their fucking great aunt. And, you know, it was this whole spiritual journey. And, and, and you know, our sales went up 1.4%. Tickets to Belize, you know? And it's like, ah. meanwhile, we're out here, you know, and I need nine hours of sleep, and I don't even know where Belize is until you've tried to sell me a ticket to Belize. And it's not even, you know, it's all going to have a promo. It's a promo code. It's not going to be a promo code, you know? It's going to be next level shit, you know? It's going to be really confusing. It's going to be really, really confusing. It's going to be like Delta Airlines. It's just going to tell the AI, do whatever you do your best. Just hey, just just spitball in here. It's called ideation. No bad ideas during ideation, but it's actually called brainstorming. But the youngsters think that it's cool to change the names of stuff. No bad ideas during suicidal ideation. That's what I always say. Anyway, I just think it'd be interesting if 25 years from now we look back on this and we're like, huh, very surprising to me that out of everything that the AI could have done to our society, I didn't expect it to maximize for superstition. Let's drink another water. So, this is Romlösa, Ananas. Ananasi. Romlösa and Liuka. Those are the two giants in Sweden when it comes to sparkling water. Let's taste these bubbles. Oh, I love the way that smells. I love the way that smells. Yeah. The other one was held back by the passion fruit because passion fruit is fucking gross and just tastes dirty and tastes like a bad, bad haircut. This is just Romlösa. And it has pineapple in it. And it's got a good amount of salt, natural mountain salts. And yeah, every kind of salt. So many types of salt. Eight types of salt. Magnesium, calcium, all these different things. And it's delicious. This is a 9 out of 10. The bubbles are sharp. That's a 9 out of 10. I love that. Okay, here's the next thought. This one is like way more abstract. And I... It's not done. I haven't thought about it properly, but it's some kind of a thought. And it's about how like creativity, creativity can be, <clears throat> create, you can do something creative on your own where there's such a freedom to having your own idea and being alone at the house and painting something or making a piece of music or writing something or sitting here and making a podcast. And there's like this incredible openness to it where you're allowed to do whatever with it but that feeling the other side of that feeling is usually that there's no fucking audience like no one there's no viewer there's no enjoyer of the piece of art that you're creating and then i don't know it's interesting because like i do have some listeners but do i discredit them like do i discredit the fact that i have a hundred because i was going to say i've never enjoyed created creativity success like creative success because all i've ever seen is and also mean other people i've never even seen it in other people almost i see people there's two ways to do a thing either there's this incredible openness and freedom where you just do creativity for yourself and then there's very rarely an enjoyer of the art or there's this other path where you're like, I want to do something creative. So I'm going to do something creative professionally. So I'm going to apply for a job 
doing fucking marketing or like I'm going to create content. And I know so many people in my life like that. And there, for, for a second yesterday, I, I bumped into someone doing that. And it was like, it, it's like so interesting how it lacks, like it's the absolute opposite of sitting alone at home with no business end, just having the creative end. If you have a business end, it's like the creative end is so painful. And like, I just, it fascinates me to no end how we don't think clearly about that stuff. There's so much muddle brain thinking about what I'm saying here. Like I don't, I should use I statements. I don't think clearly about this stuff because really, first of all, maybe I should just be grateful and maybe this is just me. I am in a completely open space here where I, I'm, this is my podcast. I'm allowed to talk about whatever I want to talk about. And I just talk about whatever I think is interesting. And every week there's something I think is interesting. And then I talk about it and there are no rules and I can do absolutely whatever I want. And then maybe no one listens to it. But for some reason, um, something like a hundred people listen to it every week. And I looked at the fucking Spotify graphs. Sometimes every few months I go into the like pot. Spotify for podcasters platform. And you can see these like scary graphs that are super specific, giving you data on like, where do people stop listening? And they were making me feel really good because it's like people listen to literally 80% of the episode before they're like, nah, I'm done with this. Like people listen to 45 minutes of this shit before they drop off. Like, what is that? Like, what are they doing? Are they chopping wood? Like, what are they doing? What manual labor making their brain so tired that this is a, I don't know. I'm grateful. I'm grateful that you're here and I should just admit. No. So what does that mean? The fact that I feel like I have never enjoyed creativity success, even though I am fis like literally in the present moment, enjoying creativity success, I have what I need. And then I have this and I do it and I enjoy it. And it's a connection with people. And somehow it's never enough. Like there's something poisonous in our culture about it. Is, is that it? Is it because the culture poisoned me to think that I'm, we're not allowed to? No, that's not it. It's much, no. It's so rude and dishonest to pretend that we were taught how to, not, how to be unhappy, but we are unhappy. It is who we are. I knew how to be unhappy before I knew how to speak Swedish. That is like the most integral part of me being dissatisfied with the results and wanting more and moving the goalpost is something that happened to me pre-language. It is not something the culture gave me. The culture, no, I grew up in good culture and the good culture did nothing good for me. Like I didn't learn anything. That's not true. Why am I being so hyperbolic? The point is just like, I don't know, like at Holbrook, we have this marketing person. And so there's this entire hierarchy. It's a pyramid. There's one boss on top of the whole hotel. There's like, I don't know, 70 people working there, 50, probably 50 is probably the number. I should really know the number. There's 50 people. Uh, you know, I'm the boss of 25 of them. There's a number of managers. I'm one of the managers. There's a marketing manager. And you could argue that out of all the people she has the most creative job of all of the jobs because she's the marketing person. She just gets to sit around and think of like, really, it's, it, it, here's the thing. 
here's the whole point of what I'm saying. Teleological. That's the word. It's like goal-oriented or not goal-oriented. Goal, top of the tree-oriented or root of the tree-oriented. When I sit here and do the podcast, it's just root of the tree-oriented. I just start with the roots and it can grow in whatever direction it wants to. But when you get a job and you're told be creative and here's make the tree grow, make the tr creativity tree grow, but the crown of the tree, the top of the tree has to grow to this point. Like where the goal has been predefined with your art, that's all suffering. Everything about that is suffering. And that's what a marketing job is. A marketing job is that like, it's been predefined that you can be however, you can have any idea you want as long as the result of the idea is that we maximize sales and exposure and engagement and brand awareness and the fucking conversion rate of these leads and this fucking mailing list turning into sales and numbers and increasing the bottom line. And as long as you're A-B testing everything you're doing to make it the most profitable thing. Use all of your, use this wide breadth of creativity in your mind and reach this very, very narrow goal. Like that's, that's the pain of it. But I'm sure like some marketing professor somewhere would be like, nah, you're thinking about it wrong. Like the goal isn't that. The goal, you should give up the goal. The goal is to give up the goal. And once you've given up the goal and just make the product something people, make the fucking marketing something people love, the goal has been attained. Like I'm sure there's some Buddhist new way of thinking about it that's like cyclical that doesn't have a goal. Be roots oriented with the tree in the marketing tree. Make the marketing tree root oriented where you just let it grow wherever to where it's a fun tree that people want to look at. And then it doesn't matter that it doesn't uh, fucking do anything to sales because if you just make it something that people want to look at then people want to then that will make sales I'm sure that there's some like as long as you don't want the goal you have attained the goal fucking approach to marketing now but the thing is that only Nike can have that philosophy you know for anyone who's like a small player for, for like 99.99% of all marketing people, you can't, you, you, you have to make it fucking narrow as shit and cheap as shit. And so anyway, the point is that like, I keep coming back to like this fight club, a uh, koan, you know, when I was like 13 years old, the movie fight club came out and I watched it and I immediately sent a message to my buddy Sebastian on ICQ because I was a very cringe 13 year old. And I sent him a message and I said, the Joachim who hadn't watched Fight Club is dead. Like I am a new person now. Like this movie changed everything about my psychology. It's like, it, it made me, it's so fucking stupid of a movie to base your whole psychology on. It's like some, it's just about resentment and dismissing everything and not. But anyway, there's a haiku in, it's such a like act of watching Fight Club when you're 13 and feeling thrilled by the like nihilism of it and making that the foundation for your entire psychology is an incredibly profound act of self-sabotage. <laughs> that means that for the next like foreseeable future, you will be bad at every job on purpose and you will like take pride in being bad at everything and you will you will have so much resentment for authority 
Man, it's so interesting. That instinct is so interesting because now as a manager, I see that in people. I see it in every single human being and I see it to different degrees in everyone. And it so correlates so strongly with success and I have started to just see it as self-sabotage, to just resent anyone that has power over you and anyone that is trying to care about like anything in a capitalist society to just resent that but still have a job it's such like a funny cop-out where it's like fine if you're going to resent it all then then dismiss it all and move out into the woods and don't have a job and be like a weird catholic hippie entrepreneur like you know my catholic hippie entrepreneur friends fine go that path and commit to it but if you're gonna have a minimum wage job and just suck at it because you watched Fight Club when you were 13. It's like, it's really the worst of both worlds because it's, 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 yeah, I don't know. It's the craziest thing. But anyway, there's a haiku in the, in the movie that where he goes, worker be in the movie, in the book. It's in the book. Um, it's also an interesting example. Fight Club is also an interesting example of like, I watched the movie and the movie gave me a sort of voice. It's Edward Norton's voice, let's be real. Gave this like dry Edward Norton voice. And because that voice was had been introduced into my head, I found it so easy to read the book. And that's, there's something there where like our brains need that now. Like we, we struggle, like a book is, in the, in the end, a book really is a blank slate where like you read it and you put so much of yourself into it. Like, there's a character description in the book, but you put so much of yourself into interpreting the character description and coming up with the image of the character in your head and the feeling, the mood, and the atmosphere of the entire story. So much of it is coming from you. And there's a weakness in us now, a weakness of constitution. I don't know if it's different historically. I just know that it's true now. Maybe it was always true. But it's very possible that it has something to do with attention span and that we're worse at it now, that we need like a little bit of help. And it really helps. And that one of the reasons that I can read Joan Didion's A Book of Common Prayer is that I found a YouTube video. I've mentioned this already on the podcast, but it's that I found a YouTube video where she just reads the first two pages. So I just hear her cool old lady, you know, young lady voice the wisdom, a real sort of warble, a real sort of, it's got a real, like it's like wood twisting her voice. Her voice is like an old house settling. And because I hear her old house settling voice read the two first pages, I can then read the third page and read it in my head in her voice. And it's like a little crutch that helps me along. Anyway, um, and that's what I'm trying to do with my own book. Where That's why I want to, that's why I did an audiobook, but it's also why I, I'm trying to create, and it's so much harder than I thought. Everything in the world is so much harder than I thought. We don't do it because it's easy. We do it because we thought it was going to be easy. Um, everything is so much harder than I thought, including making just a 15-minute sort of trailer where I just sit in a chair reading the first 15 minutes of my book out loud just so that people have a voice to read it to themselves in. And I really think that there's something there that that might work to make one more person read the book. All I want, you know, is to create a 15-minute video that will increase sales by one. Anyway, 
all of that aside, there's a haiku in Fight Club where where the narrator, where Edward Norton goes, worker bees can leave, even drones can fly away. The queen is their slave. And I find that sentiment to be very, very interesting because it's counterintuitive and it remains true all over the place in capitalism. That like there is a freedom to being on the bottom rung where you're like, and especially being a restaurant worker bottom rung because the restaurant worker bottom rung per hour kind of like a server makes more money than anyone else in that building per hour. And there's this incredible, fascinating freedom to it all. And it's like, you know, I'm sure it's a timeless thing where there used to be a thing of like, you can be a sailor. And if you're a really good sailor and you just go from ship to ship, you can just like make a big bag of money with every, on every trip. And and you don't really have a a permanent boss. And when you hate your boss, you just say, fuck you. And you just go to the next ship. And there's just like this, this impermanence and freedom and lowest rung quality to it where like the ship captain or the boss of the hotel or whatever is a little bit of a prisoner. But then it also plays into this, like the marketing person, like everyone, there were so many interesting dynamics around the marketing person because the marketing person, people were jealous of how that seemed easy and fun to just get to shoot videos and take pictures and make reels for Instagram and like sit around shooting the shit and and day drinking and brainstorming marketing campaign ideas for like the newsletter and like narratives and like multi-month, multi-year storylines and like how can we create, there is no tourism industry locally. How can we sit around and like, you know, be futurists and think big thoughts and be creative and and think and 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 be and and just be a creative worker, you know? And that seems so fun on paper to have that job. And everyone was so jealous of that person. And I also noticed that that person was the unhappiest out of all the people. And that says a lot, you know? That person had work from home privileges, which no one else has. And that person like was create was asked to be creative, but it was like the crown of the tree has been defined, build out the roots, not, you know, the roots are going to go here, do whatever you want with the roots and do the tree however you want. And it's like that person was the unhappiest ever and now that person quit. And it's a very full circle thing. And it's like that person is on to some bigger and better stuff and it's all good. And, and you know, I had some disagreements with that person and and in the end, I really sort of like, it's been a long time since I butted heads with this person because I kind of saw their plight for what it was and how it was painful. And, you know, everyone has their own fucking dog head that they have to carry to the top of the mountain. And we all have our own cross to carry and we're all being crucified by late stage capitalism in our own way, you know? But I'm, I find it fascinating that you have all these like roles that people envy and they resent that people have power over them, but really like worker bees can leave and the queen is their slave, you know, even drones can fly away and the queen is their slave. And it's, there's something, I don't know, really what I'm saying is probably that I should just be grateful that I have a job that I actually sort of enjoy, which is just a space and a community and a group of people that I get to spend time with dealing with problems that I find interesting 
feeling like I'm just the feeling of feeling like you are good at something is very satisfying. Like feeling that feeling of I have I've somehow ended up in the right place here because I am better than other people at doing what I am doing. That feeling, which I'm sure there's a shorthand name for, is like measurable and happiness indexes correlate with that strongly where like if you get to feel profit like if you get to feel especially good at at a skill that's like a deeply satisfying thing and i think i have that where like i have when it comes to like hospitality and like the complicated sort of interwoven mechanisms of the flow of a restaurant and a guest experience i think i it's like the one thing that I'm kind of good at and I somehow ended up like, I don't know. I think it's pretty normal. And it's just sort of like, I tried many, 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 many things in life. And it was like a thing that I gravitated towards because I got it more than other stuff. Like I tried a hundred things before it and I just get it so much more than other stuff that I, that it's my thing. And then I get paid a little bit of money to do that. And then outside of that, I get to have like a little bit of a creative thing where it's not the crown of the tree is defined. You have to come, you do anything creative as long as the end goal maximizes sales. I don't know. I have so much of the fight club thing left in me where I'm like, I really don't even like marketing. I don't even like marketing or telling people about the podcast because I, there are many reasons, man. Because the more people, you know, when you when you're in, I don't know, it's everything is so litigious. And I'm in this I'm in this position where like we're in California and lawsuits are a thing and lawsuits can become a thing. And like I worry about this stuff that like if in the workplace I told someone, hey, I have a podcast about sparkling water, and then they listen to it, and then I talk about something that's like um, me having issues with like dating or sex or something, then I feel like that could be construed into like, did I sexually harass someone in the workplace? Because I told them like, it can really be, it's so funny. Anything can be shortened. Anything shortened down to one sentence is offensive. Anything, if you make the story short enough, it's offensive. And if you shorten it down to hey, my manager told me to listen to this thing, and when I listened to it, it was him talking about his dick. If that's the sentence, if you shorten it down to that sentence, it's, it's a lawsuit, you know? Sue me. I'm not winning. I'm, not, I'm probably personally liable. So, like, I don't want to tell, and then I don't have any life outside of my workplace. So then it's like, so what do I do? <laughs> it's so funny to me. It's so funny to me. And it becomes this thing where it's like, if I tell anyone in my life about the podcast, then they become shackles on me psychologically where I like view them as this listener. And there's a heaviness to that where like v imagining zero listeners or just one ghost listener, there's this incredible freedom where it's um, audience of one and the audience is me. And it's just about my own uh, psychological self-therapy. And I actually think this is the this is the setup with a lot of creativity, where like, that's how you have to set it up. You have to set it up as audience of one and you're the audience and it's just your self-therapy and that's how you get to honesty and that's how you get to good art. And that's like what everything is or whatever. But yeah, I mean, there's a weird thing there where like either you're free in doing something and then there's a meaningless to it, or 
you start with the meaning, you get a job, you have the goal, and then you lack the freedom. And it's, I have almost never seen, I don't know, maybe that's not true. Like all the people doing what I'm doing, where you like have a job and then you just have something that's truly creative. Maybe that's, maybe that is the compromise that's like, that I should just accept at face value because that's the thing that works. Okay. Anyway, let's drink another water here. So this is De La Calle Tepache Pineapple Spice Tradicional with a C instead of a T fermented beverage of Mexico. Let's try it. Oh my God, seems nice. Oh, that is such a, like, what are those spices? Throw me, throw some words at me. Yeah, black pepper. That's what it smells like. It smells like black pepper. Like it smells like pineapple and stuff, but then it smells like dusty ass, good, freshly cracked, just really unctuous, rich, strong black pepper. Wow. Mixing it with liquid pineapple really gives it legs. Wow. I've never in black pepper like because there's a flatness to black pepper in any normal sense, but like it really gives it legs here. Okay, I'm gonna taste it now. Oh my God. It's like cinnamon is really strong and black pepper. And then like a sort of some backup dancers. Like the spotlight is on the cinnamon and the black pepper. But then there are all these backup dancers of like cloves and star anise and pretty much Chinese five spice, the whole fucking... The whole fucking, they got the band back together for this one. And it's on this stage of like bright yellow, juicy, you know, it's sinking into the quicksand of pineapple. And it's like absolutely wonderful. This, I, these blow me away. Every time I have a De La Calle, I'm like, man, you guys know what you're doing. It's so different and it's so creative. And it, like we try so many weird waters on the pod, Stuff that doesn't come together, but I give it a 7.5 because I really appreciate the effort. And then what you really appreciate beyond that is when someone tries something weird and it's like really good. But again, maybe this isn't considered weird. Maybe this is just from far away. You know, that's the thing oftentimes that it's not so much an act of invention. It's an act of running your fingers through the sand of all human culture all over earth and just sifting out the good bits because there's good bits sprinkled in all over the place. And capitalism is really good at reaching far and wide to find fun little recipes because like, you know, Red Bull, Red Bull's from the jungle, man. Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola is like from this weird, you know, to the people of China, Coca-Cola is like from far away in some place called America where some indigenous white people, Americans, uh, rubbed some roots together and came up with this like syrupy, sparkly, weird thing. And then you taste it and it's like, God damn, this is exotic and weird. And capitalism good, did a good job bringing it all the way to me, you know? And then I'm over here like, Tepache? Mmm. Maybe they've been pouring black pepper and cinnamon in tepache for hundreds of years, probably. Okay, I think I have to talk about like a bad feeling now. And it it it's weird and it makes me feel a little bit bad and stuff because I think, I feel like the girl is going to listen to this and, and I don't know. It's like there are a couple bad feelings now and 
and I feel like the girl's going to listen to it and it's going to make it a little bit weird, but I have to just be here with myself for this. And last episode, I, I said so many weird bad things, but the one thing that she glued, glommed onto was that I said, maybe I should just break her heart. And then immediately I caught myself and was like, well, why did I say that? That was so rude. And then um, here's the weird thing. At the end of that one hour episode that I recorded last week, there was like two things where I was like, I didn't like those two things I said. And so I, so I marked it and edited them out. And I should have edited out where I just randomly, non sequitur, complete non sequitur, not connected to anything. I just say, maybe I should just break her heart, which is like, yeah, it's, um, that wasn't the point, you know? That wasn't the point I was trying to make. But anyway, this is, it exists in the shadow of all of that, where it's like, it feels a little bit weird that people are going to listen to this. But, but it's like, there's this feeling in my heart that I keep experiencing and I keep running into it and I keep finding myself in the same feeling. And it's been this feeling for years of my life. And my novel unpacks and explores this feeling. Yes, Maddie, I talked to you about this already today. So if Maddie, stop listening now because we've already talked about this. In my novel, I, I explored this and unpacked it quite a lot where it's like, there's this feeling of being lonely. I feel fucking lonely. I'm lonely as fuck. And I sit here alone in my house, lonely. And I think nothing is worse than this. I am so alone and I'm so lonely. And I wish I had friends. I wish I had a group of friends. I wish I just sat in a circle with a group of friends and that there was community and connection and that I had it. I wish it wasn't like this. I wish it wasn't just... I work a job, I go home, I sit down alone. And so then sometimes in my life, my wish is granted, you know? A genie grants me a wish. And so recently I'm like, I find myself in this circle of people and everyone's fucking nice. They're cool and they're chill and they like to smoke a little bit of weed because they work hard and they play hard and they're really hospitable. Like all of them, they're all like focusing on me in a way where you want to bring someone in. So you like ask new people more questions so that they feel seen. So like really sort of like savvy social stuff where you're like, you realize what it's like to be the new person in a, in a, just a, a group of people that all already know each other. And you realize that it takes a little, we, we have to do a little bit of a heavy lift here of bringing this pe person in and being a little bit extra nice to this new person and that is passing through the group here. So it's like, let's focus on this person a little bit and just give them a little bit of positivity and a little bit of attention and like so much positivity and hospitality from all these different people. And then still, because I am me and nothing is ever good, you know? Like everything is always bittersweet with me. I just sit and I always find something wrong and then I, I just sit and I just my heart just drops. At some point, my heart just always drops. And I just have to face the reality of how there's always something like profoundly wrong and how I like deeply, deeply don't fit in. And it's like both things are true at the same time. I could just chill the fuck out and just decide to fit in and I would fit in. Or I could tell you how I don't fit in and you would believe me. Like both things are true at the same time. Like 
I'm 36. Can I hang out with a bunch of 23-year-olds and 24-year-olds? No. It's like that fucking saying where it's like you're in your 30s and you feel the same as when you were in your 20s and you don't feel old and you're not old and you're like, I'm exactly like I was in my 20s and like I didn't change at all and I didn't grow up. And, you know, time is very fungible and maybe now people in their 30s, maybe 30s is your new 20s and maybe, and then you have all these thoughts about how you're in your 30s and you feel so young until you meet someone in their early 20s and you're like, oh shit, never mind, I'm actually in my 30s. And it's like the whole thing is explained to you and you're like, oh fuck, I'm actually my, I feel so fucking, like you never feel as old as when you hang out with a couple of 23 year olds, you feel me? And when I say that, you completely agree with me and you're like, yeah, Joachim, yeah, you don't fit in, obviously. But it's also like, who cares? And it's like, I make these problems myself, but so like at some point my heart just drops and I just, I go home and I'm like, the way I describe it to Maddie is like, the loneliness of being alone and having nothing and wanting something and not having it and being alone and lonely, it's a, it's a feeling and it's a bad feeling and it's easy when you have that feeling to think that that's the worst feeling. But in the end, it's kind of low volume. Like the, the, vo the volume is turned down on that feeling. It's not loud. It's a quiet feeling. And then when your wish is granted and you're surrounded by people, which is what you wanted, and then you realize that you feel alienated anyway, even though you're around people, feeling lonely around people is a much louder feeling. It's actually a much worse feeling. Loneliness with people is actually a much worse feeling than loneliness alone. And so that's part of what I feel bad about in the last 24 hours and why I woke up feeling horrible. It's just like, I just like can't figure it out, dude. I just... I'm so fucking lonely and there are all these people that want to hang out with me and I just sit at the house and I just, there's no, there's nothing, you know, there's nothing in, there's, it's just that fucking Bess Atwell song called Nobody where it's like, nobody is meant for me, you know, and it's not true, you know, Maddie's my buddy and, and I love Maddie and, and we get along and, but then I punch through down all the way down into a lowest, blackest darkness where it's like, I don't know, it's interesting, like me and Dr. Luke would, would talk about this, how like we would connect when we were super depressed. And I almost think that that's true for me and Maddie too, but I almost think it's truest that like, I feel the most honest when I am not actually with her in the room. Because when I'm with her in the room, there's something in my body that becomes disingenuous. I become disingenuous and I become, I act happy and I pretend and I'm doing something where I'm like going through the motions of regular thing and it doesn't really get that interesting or honest. So like I had dinner with Maddie today and I partly it's that we're in like, it's many things, but like we're also in a public place where we're like in a restaurant getting like the worst service ever. We go to Diego's and I sit down and wait for Maddie and she doesn't show up for like 10 minutes and no one greets me. No one gets me water. No one, like I would have, I wanted to order an appetizer and fucking beverages. No one even said hi to me. And then Maddie sits down and then we sit there for like another 10 minutes and Maddie does this awkward thing of looking at all the waiters being like, just trying to make eye contact to summon someone. And then like when we've been there for like 20 minutes, um, 
finally someone takes our order. And at every point, I can tell how the person is about to walk away in the middle of us asking for stuff. So at many points in the conversation, I'm like, stop, stop, stop. Everyone stop. I'm about to ask for more things. Do not walk away. And I just had to like order people around. And then with everything, when whenever we get something delivered to the table, I want to ask for more stuff. I need more condiments. I need more bread with this. I need more butter. You know, I need hot sauce. I want to order more stuff. This obviously doesn't have enough rice. Give me more rice. You know what I'm saying? I wanted an over medium egg on that. There I sounded like a really rude, difficult guest, but I only get, I'm never actually rude and difficult in real life. That's not true at all. But anyway, I wasn't rude and difficult. I just was silently getting the worst service ever, um, tied with every other horrible service I've gotten. But anyway, we got horrible service at Diego's, but it's a public place. So I am. Um, and then at the end of the meal, you know, you know how my act of charity, I don't tell anyone that I got horrible service. I don't write a Yelp review. I don't do nothing. I just go home and talk about it on my podcast to a bunch of people in New Zealand who will never go to Diego's. And it's all good. You know, today, logged into my Spotify for Podcasters platform. Lots of people in New Zealand listening to the podcast still. You know, Luke, Bianca, uh, Ashton Kutcher, you know, Preston, all these different people in New Zealand and Germany. People in Germany. Um, but um, yeah, anyway, I was hanging out with, with Maddie and, and, and I was feeling so sad and depressed and anxious and I couldn't really talk about it in person. But I almost feel like late at night, sending her a voice message and having her respond in a voice message and having me respond again in a voice, like that almost feels like a more honest, like the disembodied nature of that makes it like more honest or something. So it's like, that's the least, that's the best I can do in terms of running away from my loneliness. Having like one person that I, I just lay down at my own house alone and send voice messages to one person. That's the best, I, that's the best it ever gets for me, you know? Nobody is meant for me. You feel me? God, sad boy summer, bro. Sad boy summer, what is going on? I think I have to quit my job probably. I'm starting to think about it a lot, like, just, I don't know. It's also like I'm too far away from cities. I'm so far away from cities. It's really killing me. Hope no one, no one from work listens this deep into the episode because, hey, if you work with me and you listen to the episode, I'm not quitting, okay? It's just, I just need to say that out loud. You know how sometimes when you're married, let's say this in a you statement. <laughs> Sometimes when you're married, you get really stressed out about how the relationship isn't going well, and you get in your head about it, and you just have to say the word divorce to just lower the temperature and realize that, like, saying the word divorce doesn't burn the whole world down. And, like, the fear of saying the word divorce is might actually be a bigger problem than the fact that you might be getting divorced. Like, just say it out loud. Just say out loud that you might quit, and then maybe you won't quit. But if you don't say it, you might fucking, you know, you know, there are no... Bad ideas during, during suicidal ideation. That's what I always say. You know, here's another random thing that happened. Um, the, and the timing of it was really on the nose for me. Like, everyone in California that has a job has to do a sexual harassment training thing. 
it's just a little certificate. You just have to go on a website and do this thing. There's probably some caveats where not everyone has to do it, but it's probably something like every business with more than 50 employees has to make all, everyone um, do uh, this sexual harassment training. And then, because we want to be extra gold star good, we make managers do like a longer version of it. And the whole thing that we do is like restaurant specific because we actually mean it. Like we're actually trying to make it um, so that people don't get sexually harassed. And it's actually, you know, I brought him in on the podcast. We talked about it. I actually, it's actually a priority for me. But somehow the problem becomes a little bit smaller, maybe different, Different and smaller when you have a workplace that's like 90% women because men are maybe the problem in a big way. So maybe my way of prioritizing it is not that I'm hiring more women. It's just like way more qualified women than men are applying. So I'm happily kind of hiring more women than men. And then it's just keeping the couple of men in check and just... But anyway, the point is that I am... I'm part of what I have to do is I have to do this like very long winded fucking sexual harassment for managers training. And so I'm sitting at the front desk because there's no front desk person. So I'm just filling in over there on a computer watching these like instructional videos that are actually very good and very interesting about like, how do you stay aware of everything fucked up that can be going on between subordinates? Because it's a very infinitely complicated question that there's a lot of stuff that can be taught about. Like I'm learning, anyway. And then while I'm in this video, a guest calls me over and he's like, he walks into the, he walks in through the front door and he stands in the lobby and then he calls me over and he's like, is this here? Is the party here? It's the dance party here. And he shows me his phone. And what he has pulled up that he's scrolling through, flipping through, is screenshots from adultfriendfinder.com, which is a porn website and maybe even a porn community. And he's showing me screenshots of his own profile, username. His username is oral4u. And four is the number four. And you is several use oral for you. And this man is like 45 years old. He's wearing a bandana. He looks like he's been, he's, he looks like the kind of guy that walks back and forth at a gas station. Just like some guy you would see outdoors at a gas station. The kind of guy that spends very little time indoors. That's what he looks like. And then he has a sidekick and it's like an 80 year old man. And they're both like missing a couple of teeth and they don't seem completely sober, but they, it's not alcohol as much as maybe they're on some uppers, you know? This is like a little bit of a little bit of opioid epidemic going on here. And the, this fella on his phone is showing me screenshots from Adult Friend Finder, a porn website. And he's showing me like all this stuff. He's, he, there's like no shame. He'd, he'd like, he's just like, is this here? And it's like, no, it's not here. And he doesn't even like, there's no even good reason for why it would be at my place of work. Like he, it doesn't say, it just says Main Street that they're having some sort of fucking sex party somewhere on Main Street, but there's a West Main Street and an East Main Street. But it's like many things about it I find fascinating, you know? Like you are telling me that 
in this tiny little town, this website can reach critical mass and find, there's enough people on adultfriendfinder.com, porn website, fucking Reddit-esque community for porn users, that they can find more than one so they can find each other, so they can have an in-person event. Is that what you're telling me? And then I'm just like, no, it's, it's, it's not what you're showing me. And it's so funny because he's showing me a phone where there's like tits and the b top and bottom of the screen, but in the middle of the screen, it says like West, it says like Main Street. And I'm like, are we going to ignore that you're showing me a porn website and you're just going to point to this address and I'm supposed to ignore it? And you know what? I'm in the hospitality industry. I just fucking ignored it. And it was just so like, on the nose about the sexual harassment training because that is the glaring hole though in the sexual harassment training that like I can train all my staff to treat each other respectfully and I can make sure that I don't say any joke or anything that even acknowledges the existence of our physical bodies or even acknowledges the existence of sexuality because if I say any joke that even just acknowledges the existence of sexuality, then that will create a permission structure where people feel like, oh, okay, if he says that, then I am allowed to say something much worse. So I have to keep a completely, my side of the street needs to be completely clean and I need to be completely strict with myself and anything I hear firsthand to not make anyone feel anything is okay. And then I need to always reiterate with everyone that they can tell me or anyone around me that like, you know, if shit's whack, if anyone is making anyone uncomfortable, I wanna know about it and we need to address it. And then the big glaring hole though is that we have all these guests that we serve that say fucked up shit. And they sit at a bar and they drink alcohol and they like say fucked up shit to female, female uh, staff. And then it's like, the line is in such a different place there. And it's so much harder there because it's like the difference between alcoholism and a gambling addiction or like a food addiction where it's like with the alcohol addiction, you can just do zero tolerance policy. With staff, you can do zero tolerance policy. But with guests, it's like, you have to come up with a compromise where they're allowed to exist and they're allowed to be 70 year old drunk men, but they're not allowed to make anyone uncomfortable. They're, they're not allowed to make anyone too uncomfortable, but they're like allowed to, like they're allowed to do something. It's different. Like it, it, it's a more case by case thing where you have to sometimes talk about it as a group and be like, he did what? He did what? And it's, it's like, yeah, I don't know. He wanted you to go out into the parking lot and meet you in his car, meet you by his car because he had a gift for you and he gave and you did it and he gave you the gift and it's like something he made. It's some crafts and you threw it in the trash or it's like some smoked meats. He made you a food item. Are you allowed to eat it? I don't know. Are you? It's like, I don't know. It wasn't in the training. Are you allowed to eat the gift? I don't know. And like, I've been to a strip club or two and frequent, sometimes like you walk into a strip club and you watch the bouncer walk with a girl to her car and drive off. And it's like, yep, that's the thing, you know? Because it doesn't really work to, to like have a strip club where some delusional customer man guest spends 
80 bucks getting two lap dances from a girl and then falls in love with her and then sits in the parking lot and uh, tries to intercept her as she's walking to her car. Like, that's the same problem, you know? Maybe I should walk everyone to their car, you know? it's Luckily, it's not that bad, but I do think about how it's harder. It's harder and it takes more judgment and it's not as easy as... Because in a way, it's easy. The, the staff stuff is easy because it's just... You know, there's a very bright red line. The red line is brighter. I don't know. And then sometimes a guest calls you over and it's like, hey, I got some porn on my phone. And then I have to treat him respectfully and tell him, no, the sex party is not here. I'm going to have to ask you to leave, sir. And then, you know, I'm not allowed to feel bad about that. That some crackhead showed me naked people on his phone. Because it's all just, it's all just part of the deal, you feel me? It's all just part of the big bowl of goop that it all is, you know? The gumbo. Anyway, um, the two-hour mark, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to stop recording now. This, this episode is, yeah. I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened, but, but I love you guys, and, and I, um, yeah. This tapache is definitely a 10 out of 10, and I love it. I drank the whole thing. You know, just be good to yourself, you know, and, and do the thing that I tell myself that I should do, that I fail to do. But do it. You do it. You know, I fail so that you can succeed. That's what that's what this is all about. Um, I love you guys. And, and, and thank you for listening. Thank you for being here with me.